Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of Emerge Podcasts. Uh, we have a, another American on the show tonight, Mark Tullius. Is that right, Mark Tullius? That is correct. Thank oh, you so much for having nice. me. No, thanks very much for coming on, mate. It's, it's, oh, a, it's a pleasure. Um, and yeah, so well, we're going to get into Mark's story and, and find out who he is, basically. Um, he's an author, um, former MMA fighter. Yeah, his finger has Podcaster. been many pies. Hi. Yeah. He's a very busy man. It puts me to shame. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Mark, you're currently in LA. Correct. Yeah, I live uh, just outside of Los Angeles, maybe about an hour with traffic, uh, 20 minutes without. Right. Okay. So not too far. <laughs> uh, how, how has the, because LA was quite badly hit with the whole COVID thing, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, we got hit pretty bad. Um, and that was one of the hard parts. One of the I used to drive to LA all the time to go train jujitsu. Um, but when the pandemic hit, all of that went out the window. Um, and so, but it is nice not having to deal with the traffic anymore. So uh I think my son is gonna start going back to school in a couple of weeks. Uh so there'll be a little bit of driving, getting back to normal. Uh, but no, I, I enjoy being at home. I'm a I'm an introvert. I I, I do all my work from here, so I'm happy with it. I've never realised that I same. I I quickly became very very happy with just not seeing anyone, be at home, spend time with my wee girl, man. But I time to get back to normal, I suppose, isn't it? At some point, it has to come back. Well, this is the new norm, hopefully. Yeah. Never leave the house ever again. Never. Um, But yeah, so you you grew up in LA as well. So did you have you moved back to where you originally grew up, or are you in a different part? Yeah, very, very close to it. I, I currently live in Whittier. It's about 10 minutes from where I grew up. Um, but I went to school. I went to college on the East Coast. I went to school at Brown right. University in yeah. Rhode Island, uh, moved back to California, did about five years in Vegas, uh, where I was trying to be a professional fighter, uh, boxing and MMA. I was terrible at both. Uh, <laughs> and then I came back to, you know, yeah, I, I was two not wins, Did you not? Did you not get two yeah. wins? What's that? Did you not I'm get sorry? two wins? Did you not get? Uh, yeah, there were two other ones, but they're like small fights. But I had more losses than wins. Um, in oh yeah, in my boxing boxing career, I think I was two and three. Uh, yeah, so I had two professional wins. I got to fight at Caesar's Palace, which was wow. super cool. Sweet. Uh, but the problem was, I was a big, strong, tough guy who thought I could fight. Uh, I, I I was dumb. Um, I had no boxing. <laughs> No boxing background at all. No amateur experience. I had 10 rounds of semi-sparring before my first pro match. Um, and then when I went to Vegas, they just threw me in with guys that were 13-0. and 0. I was watching these guys on TV, you know, 13-0, and 0, undefeated heavyweights, um, sparring partners that had like 50 fights. And uh, I took a, I, I got a lot of brain damage um, from that time. Fuck. That's, that's, that's intense. Uh, so, so heavyweight then, you must be quite a big guy. Yeah, I was um, anywhere up to 275. I was generally like 245, um, but up up to 275 for like MMA. But boxing, you know, and that's what I realized right away. I was big and strong, but by the end of the first round, I couldn't hold my arms up. And, uh, you know, it was just, I was not in shape for fighting. I was you know, big, strong, and tough, and that's not yeah. a good combination. Well, you're not yeah. like pure shredded as well; like you're proper, like a low body fat. 
Uh, no, back then I was not. I, I was I was okay. Um, I'm much healthier now. Like now I, I weigh less than I did in high school. Right now I'm about 210. So I've I've spent the last couple of years while I've been doing research on my traumatic brain injury book, I've been doing, uh, you know, part of that is exercise, how important exercise is for our mind. And so I've been losing weight. Uh, so I'm probably at the healthiest I've ever been now when I'm 48 years old. Yeah. Oh, we look well. You're looking well, thank you. Yeah, tremendous, eh? <laughs> so just going back, so we'll, we'll get into, um, you know, how you be, how you became an author and um, your sort of boxing and MMA journey, how you got started training and stuff like that. But what, what was growing up in, in LA like? Um, it was, we were probably lower middle class. Um, there wasn't a whole lot going on, man. I just, I had a good time, played with friends, uh, played foot. I started football, uh, in high school. That's when I started, um, tackle football. And that's when I started getting my concussions, uh, and started going kind of dark. Uh, I always, I've always had a lot of, uh, dark thoughts, you know, and that's what fueled my writing. Um, but yeah, just, I was pretty self-destructive. I was actually, um, even though no one else knew it, I, I was suicidal. Uh, I was always thinking about death. I was, you know, I got a motorcycle in the hopes that maybe that someone would hit me. Like I wasn't ever going to take my own life, but I was very, uh, very reckless, you know, low self-esteem, just had a lot of issues. Um, and now looking back, it's like, well, maybe a lot of that came from, you know, brain stuff. Uh, who knows? But um, yeah, that was kind of growing up. I just, and I, that's when I kind of got into fighting too, was uh, I think at the end of high school, I started doing kickboxing, uh, started realizing I enjoy that kind of stuff. I did a lot of bouncing, breaking up fights. I was always, I was always the guy that broke up fights. So that's why no one could understand why I would ever try to fight because I was always like a peacekeeper. You know, I would always try to handle everything, um, you know, as peaceful as possible. So everyone thought it was a little strange that I would go into a profession trying to fight yeah how, how old were you when you when you started having like dark thoughts were you were you really really young or was it man i can remember i can remember being in church probably like i was probably like six or seven years old and i would be watching people go up for communion and i would be thinking about which ones i would shoot you know or, oh, or like and just like super dark thoughts I, I would look up at the big chandeliers at the top i'm like okay i have six bullets if i shoot that one Who's it going to fall on and crush? You know, and I would look to see who would fall on. And so I just, I had these kinds of thoughts a lot uh, and a lot of visuals. And I don't know if it was because I watched, you know, maybe a lot of R-rated movies that I shouldn't have been mm. or um, or what it was. But I just had a lot of uh, a lot of anger and a lot of just dark visuals. Mm. I think, this, do you think it's more like, um, obviously you've had the, the kind of traumatic brain injuries as well, but... Do you think part of it was maybe a phase? Because I I also remember like not to that extent, but thinking about constantly thinking about death and but I was scared of death, like paranoid and I couldn't mm -hmm. stop thinking about it. But that was a kind of phase that slowly drifted away. Do you think it was maybe a mixture of both? I think it probably was, and I've realized, especially throughout the years, I've realized all my writing is really me struggling with the fear of death. I think I think the fear of death is probably the root of so many different issues, but no one really goes that deep to understand and to look at like, oh yeah, that's really what I'm afraid of. It's just our own mortality. Um, so the whole time might've been that. And I also had a, you know, I definitely had a lot of anger too about going into religion. Like I felt like religion was forced on me. Um, I never really cared for it. So that just added to my anger. And then I fed it with 
um, you know, more violent stuff and looking at like watching movies like Faces of Death and, you know, going more extreme, um, listening to tons and tons of heavy metal, you know, in, in very dark heavy metal. Um, so I was just feeding this thing. And so it just kept, just kept building and building and building. Did you ever kind of idolize, you know, any of these sort of, you know, mass murderers or anything? Did you ever look into anything like that? Or were you just kind of focused on your own thing and that was what you were thinking about? At the time, I was just, I didn't even think it was an issue, you know, uh, like looking back now, I'm like, oh man, how did I survive all that? But at the time, that was just my normal. And uh, so I never really gave it much thought. I was just like, no, this is, you know, and so much of it was like, okay, this was, that was my idea of what a man was supposed to be. A man was supposed mm, to be big, uh, strong, tough, and- tough, violent. Uh, you know, someone says something to you, you fight them. Um, so, yeah, so much of it, who knows if it was biological, you know, uh, if it was from a blow to the head, if it was just from the environment. I think, you know, it's just a combination of everything. Yeah. It's what you see. That's what you see. If you see all these violent movies and stuff, that's going to leave a, an impact on you. Yeah. That's why yeah, I'm a sure. giant scaredy cat of everything. I'm <laughs> yeah. such a little girl, man. <laughs> um, so, you're, um, when you were going through college, is that you obviously started playing football at a lower age? Or was it when you got to kind of college age? Um, so I, I played in high school. Uh, right after high school, I had a really bad back injury uh, or my senior year. And so I didn't go on. The next year, I didn't play football at all. Um, I went to a local college, uh, didn't care for it. Then I went to a community college, couldn't get my classes one year. And the coaches had kept telling me like, hey, why don't you go out for football? Go out for football, play for us. And I kept saying, no, no, no. Um, and then it was like one week before school was going to start. The semester was going to start. I didn't have any classes. And so I went to the coach and I said, Hey, I'll play for you. If you know, you get me my classes. He did. Luckily I was able to start there, um, had a good season. And then I got recruited by Brown and then I finished up college at Brown. Um, and I think throughout football, I probably had, I think there were about four times where I was completely knocked out unconscious, uh, but, you know, doing all the research in the brain book, I realized like, man, I was like, I had so many countless concussions, you know, that because you don't need to be knocked unconscious for it to be a concussion. Yeah. Cause damage. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so football definitely added to yeah. my issue. I think. The, have you heard of the TV show Ballers? Or, I, I, uh, I, haven't, I haven't heard of that. The, the, the Rock, he's like the, the main guy in it. And I think it's on for three seasons. Um in the last season of it, the that's the big thing they go on, like brain injuries and how CTE. football players aren't looked, yeah, football players aren't looked after. They're just kind of kicked to the curb. They, they're not insured. They're not looked after when they retire. These guys can't get jobs. They don't know what to do. They're very forgetful. Um, mm-hmm. They're really they're so big on that. Even here with soccer now, like kids aren't allowed to yeah, head of the ball. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So many unknowns about like traumatic brain injuries and even just concussions and Everything. Yeah, soccer, um, football, rugby—it's uh, amazing. Even even in basketball, there's a lot of concussions when when people fall and they hit their head on the, you know, uh, the court. Yeah, on the court. Um, and the hard thing with the brain stuff is you, you don't know that something's wrong, especially if it is. You know, if you make it to my age, when I started doing this research, I thought I was completely fine. You know, I, I was like, okay, because I, I could test really high on uh, brain games. I played like Lumosity and different games like that, and my scores were high. And so I and I told myself I was fine. I didn't need it. 
I was simply writing this because I had other friends uh, that I played football with in college who didn't go on to fight that were in brain studies. You know, they were writing to me and saying, hey, man, my brain is wrecked. I don't know what I'm going to do into my rope, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I was kind of writing it for them. And then when I started going to, you know, I started getting tested. I'm like, oh, yeah. 100% like I have brain damage and, and, you know, and when my, it wasn't until my symptoms started going away that I realized how bad I had been, um, you know, two weeks, I think it was about two weeks after being on my, I started getting my hormones regulated. Uh, I saw a podcast on Joe Rogan um, with Dr. Mark Gordon. He was changing the lives of all these uh, veterans that had uh, TBIs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, eh, I'll try it. I was like, I don't think I need it, but I'll try it. I did the blood work and for sure, like all my hormones were messed up and indicative that I had TBI. Um, so they put me on a protocol two weeks into it. I was in the backyard. I just started crying and it wasn't because I was sad about anything. I was just, I couldn't believe like it was the absence of having all this anxiety of all this depression. You know, it was like, I realized I was like, man, I'd been having all this irritability all the, like, so suddenly it wasn't gone all the way but it had been reduced so much. I was like, I can't believe that had been, you know, I had considered myself normal. Uh, when I was nothing but normal. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, sorry, Gavin. Um, so I try to think of this, the medication, does that help release all the tension that you've got? Or you're living with this like frustration that you can't do certain things? Or is it? It was, so with the medication, um, Part of it was I had really low testosterone. So they gave me something to naturally boost the testosterone, uh, like vitamin D3. I was incredibly deficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we when we get a concussion, one of the first things that happens is it stops our ability. All the inflammation stops our ability to regulate our own hormones. And so, you know, certain things might go up really high. Other things are going to go low. Um, and our body, our brain doesn't have this ability to get us where we need to. So this medicine, you know, the supplements except for the testosterone one, everything else was over the counter. Um, so it just put me where I should have been. And so I was like, okay, mm-hmm. now I feel like, you know, a, a man, my age, this is where they would be, you know, their hormones at least. But then on top of that, then my next step, you know, I also was having to go through therapy to deal with different issues and figure out ways to deal with stress. Um, and a really big one for me was neural feedback. Um, right. Yeah, where they're actually amplifying or lowering uh, different part uh, brain waves. Um, You know, they do a a test. And again, going into that, I thought I was fine. I didn't need it. I just did it. I did the brain map for um, research, you know, just to see. And man, my my frontal cortex was um, everything should be green. If it's red, it means stuff is over firing there. Uh, If it's blue, it means it's under firing, under functioning. And all of this was like dark blue. Um, huh? They were able to see by my brain waves that I hadn't been getting like any, uh, I had chronic poor sleep. Like I wasn't getting deep sleep for probably 20 years. Uh, even though I was sleeping for, you know, enough, it wasn't, I wasn't ever hitting the deep sleep and I wasn't getting, and that's where your Recovery. brain gets rid of all the mm-hmm. weight. Yeah. That's where you recover. Yeah. Um, the they were able to see, yeah. So like, that's why my memory was terrible and everything else. And, and also on top of all this, to deal with all these issues, I'd also been uh, using cannabis for the last 32 years, like pretty much nonstop. Uh, you know, How do you and, think that? Does that help? 
I think it it definitely helped me get through a lot um, when I when I did both the neurofeedback and the hormone regulation. Both times it cut my usage probably in about half, and they warned me that it would. Um, I told them I was like, I, I don't think so because I used to <laughs> wake up like you know I would take the kids to school, and as soon as the kids were gone, like that's when I would start getting high. Uh, and I you know I told myself I would do it for writing or whatever, but it was really man, I just had so much anxiety, so much aggression, so much irritability, all these different things. But when I smoked, I found, you know, calmness, you know, I was Mm -hmm. able to be calm, I was able to focus. Um, So it definitely gave me what I needed. But now, like, I barely need it. Um, And I've taken breaks, like I did like a 40 day break one time. Um, Now I'll take off a day every once in a while, but I just, you know, I'll do it at night. And uh, it'll help me reflect more. Uh, generally what happens after I smoke, I'll go and I'll apologize to my wife or my kids for something I said that day that wasn't cool. You know? uh, and, just uh, calm things you down from a yeah, mellow smell. Yeah. yeah. What so did you just, start doing that at? How old were you when you first tried that? I'm sorry, what was that? How old were you when you first had cannabis? Um, I was 15. And yeah, when I, and then I loved it. So, you know, and it, it didn't take, I didn't take many breaks, um, but I'm sure, you know, it's my, it's what my brain needed, you know, to, to calm yeah, down. Yeah, definitely. So, especially if you're doing such a, like American football, man, it's such, such an intense sport. Definitely yeah. been brought down for such a, a high, the testosterone uh, then would have been oof, off the yeah. charts. I know, I know. What, do you ever find yourself, I'm, assu- I'm assuming you will, but, do you ever find yourself quite lucky? Because when you look at players, especially in American football, like Aaron Hernandez, I know it was a you know a much longer uh, time period, maybe a higher level, but still the same injuries that you're getting. Do you know what I mean? Do you, do you ever find yourself lucky? Oh yeah, I mean I'm I'm so grateful for everything. Um, part of my part of the research I did for this was actually spending time with uh, a friend who played college football with me, uh, and he had CTE so bad. Um, that like it was the equivalent of like a 75 year old brain uh he wasn't when he got cancer he wasn't able to get um he couldn't do treatment because the cte and the the cancer treatment um just it, it, it ruined his brain and, too much, yeah. and so uh just because i know so many guys like that that played less than i did some guys that just played in high school um you know i i find myself incredibly lucky incredibly fortunate uh, not only to have made it this far, but then to have turned around, you know, where I am yeah. now compared to where I was three years ago is incredible, you know, and, yeah. I, and I, I hope my hope is that that will continue and that I'll never, you know, end up having the dementia. But if I do like because I and I've I've spent maybe 20,000 in the last two years just on my brain, uh, oh, you man. know, with the neurofeedback supplements, everything else, all this testing. It's a but, good investment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, no, yeah, even yeah. if even if I only let's say it only helped me for two years or one year, I was like, the the difference in the quality of my life and what I've been able to give my family and how much I've been able to, how much more productive I've been, like that alone has been worth it. So, uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm just so grateful. I I hate writing nonfiction. I'm I'm so glad the book's almost done. Uh, but a hundred percent, it's the best thing I could have ever done. Yeah. Let's let's just for say I'm a person that doesn't know what CT is and or how how it happens. Mm-hmm. Do you know how it how it how it, how it, how it, how it comes about? How, 
it's pretty much well it's caused by traumatic brain injuries um it's chronic traumatic encephalopathy i believe is the correct term i don't uh the full term what smith yeah yeah uh, <laughs> but it, it's going to be from the repetitive blows to the brain i know i you're going to have more damage if you um have a bl another blow to your brain before you fully recover from your first concussion uh that happened to me often because i never worried about concussions like i there was one time where i crashed my car 70 miles per hour uh not on purpose but a single car accident total my car and two days later i was sparring and then got oh, another really bad concussion and so like it was just that's when you can see a lot of damage um when young kids there's I think it's called SIS, I, second impact syndrome. Uh, something that happens a lot. Well, not a lot, but it happens in football um, where someone gets a second hit after not recovering from the first one. And, and oftentimes, like when that happens, that could re even result in death. Um, so it, the, the important thing, I think, with anyone playing any kind of contact sport, anyone that has a head injury is to make sure that you recover from it before mm -hmm. doing more. Uh, but asking that of a player is incredibly hard because no player wants to sit out and lose their position, yeah. you know, to someone else, or even admit that they have a problem. You know, you can't see, you can't see a concussion. So no. it's really hard to go to your coach and be like, you know, we're, we're, we're taught to, to be tough and, yeah, exactly. Brush it off and get back in. How, how many times do you think, do you think it's more uh, common than people think that people would sustain a second blow in the same match as well um yeah i think i think it probably is much more common it, it's it's hard to tell why certain people have damage in, less, in, and others don't yeah, yeah. So, some people are uh, in i guess it probably has to do a lot with you know the person's resilience um and, and their ability like because if if their brain's already pretty wrecked then they're probably going to respond a lot worse to it. But if they, you know, if their hormones are in check and if everything's already, like if it's a good environment already, and then they take a blow, the, I'm guessing they would recover a lot quicker. Um, you know, and that's why I feel kind of bad when I talk about the subject, because I'm not a scientist, you know, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a, no, I'm a stoner like the, and I forget a lot, but. What was the movie with the, the vegans uh, that was on Netflix and he was an ex MMA fighter and oh. he'd studied that much. Uh, that it studied more than what a PhD would study about, uh, like going uh, game changers only. Game changers, that's it. Did you ever oh, see I, the game I, changers? I, I, I haven't seen that. Good, uh, but... It's just all about being a plant based diet, and this guy had studied it to the, the degree where he was he knew more about this than scientists and the benefits in the body. And he's had a bit of money, so he had, had a movie, and he'd done the studies himself and seen the benefits of why everybody should have a plant-based diet um so you've probably done just as much studying if you're writing a book about this stuff so yeah I I, wouldn't feel if you don't know anything <laughs> you probably know more than most uh, I, I i appreciate it. and that's a you know that's a good perspective i always put myself down um yeah i'm always, I'm always my worst critic uh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that, can that be a good thing like, but Certainly not if you're able to say that big word, that even that CP's he's okay, but that even you've said Mark, that we, so many times. We we had a podcast, um, it was right back at the start, maybe seventh or seventh episode or something like that. Um, and we had a, a an amateur uh, American football player from Glasgow, um, and we spent about 15 minutes trying to pronounce the E and CTE. Uh -huh. uh -huh. <laughs> we still can't. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. 
but but there's a there's a good um, it's on Joe Rogan obviously if you listen to Joe Rogan um, the guy who done the Game Changers um, documentary he's been on Joe Rogan speaking about it as well um, and he had a someone who tried to debunk the critique, the, the episode or the the the, the movie um, and Joe Rogan had both of them on and they had a really really good debate about it. Um, Let's just say the guy, from, the guy from Game Changers came off the best, I would say. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. It's the nicest right. way to put it. <clears throat> yeah. So what did you study at uni, uh, university? What did you study? Um, I didn't want to... Man, I had no desire to really learn. Uh, again, that was such a bad point in my life. I, I was messing around with even more drugs in, in college. Um, but I studied sociology mainly ah. because I heard it was an easy... Uh, Easy it was pass. an easy degree. Uh, and, <laughs> and I was going into, you know, I was going into Brown, you know, it's Ivy League school. And yeah, it's I, one of the best. Man. Yeah. And I, you know, and so I was not an Ivy League student. Uh, you know, I was the only one there with tattoos. I had my motorcycle. Uh, you know, I had <laughs> oh, a gun. God, oh, must have been <laughs> yeah. such a cool guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. So it was, I, I didn't really feel like I belonged there. Um and, you know, so, but I, but I managed to get through, I managed to graduate, but yeah, I studied sociology, but what's really cool is that, you know, 20 years later is when I started my work on uh, un- unlocking the cage. Cause yeah. I, I started this book where I was trying to figure out, okay, why the hell did I ever try to fight? You know, why, when I wasn't successful, when I wasn't making money, I was spending more money than anything, you know, I was taking abuse. Why would I do this? Uh, so I went around the country and I interviewed uh, 330 fighters, like 60 coaches, uh, went to 100 different gyms in 23 states. And that was all a social, you know, it was a sociological study. Um, mm-hmm. And then I even got to go to Brown and uh, guest lecture on it, uh, which, you know, that oh. blew my mind because I never felt like I belonged there. But to come back 20 years later and actually teach a course and, you know, I got to show them some jujitsu too, like for half of the half of the session. That's a prime Actually, example of you yeah. being your, your biggest critic, though, isn't critic. it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so sure. It says on your LinkedIn that you studied the uh, sociology, but just Gavin's done it a few times. He goes, oh, you've done it. And he's like, nah. Because I've done it where you're, <laughs> you're fighting. It's like, I, was like, I don't want to see sociology in any case. He goes, nah, I didn't do that. <laughs> um, what always so, interests me, Mark, is uh, the, the, the difference between the United Kingdom's sort of education system and the American education system. Because, like, I finished school, um, we call it, oh, high school, I, high school uh, when I was 15. And I basically, if you, if you, you can leave when you're 16 and just go and get a job, and that's you. But in America, mm-hmm. it seems to be more, you know, you're, you're in high school until you're, I don't know, 19, maybe. Yeah, yeah, um, generally about 18, yeah. Yeah, and then you go to college and you don't end up leaving education until you're maybe 23, something mm-hmm. like that. Is that about right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I was probably 22 when I graduated. Um, yeah, most people. Yeah, that's that's the general path. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do, now, do you think do you like the idea of getting through it at a younger age? Um, my my niece is actually she she skipped high school. She's incredibly bright, and she just went straight to college. So she's probably going to be done with college at like 18 or 19. Um, you know, and, and she's mature enough to do that. So and maybe, yeah. maybe, you know, by you guys going through it earlier, it does make you more mature. Yeah, I think it really depends on the profession as well, that you, you're looking to, a lot of people, the, the problem is a lot of people when you're 16, you don't know what you're trying to do. So mm. the, like, for me, I think it's, it's a lot of pressure. I like, 
I think in America, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you didn't go to college, you didn't get a degree, you didn't do this and do that, are you are you quite put down a bit by society? You... I think that might have been the old. I think that might have been the old model, and maybe people still look at it that way. But like I tell everyone, I, I tell my kids, I'm like, hey, college is whatever. Like if if you know what you want to do and you need college for it, then yeah, that, that's awesome. But it was like, for me, college was about partying and playing football. And what did I really learn? You know, um, like, if, but if they could find something that they really love is like, get really good at that, you know, go to yeah, a yeah. trade school or, or go, you know, if you want to be a writer, just write and read, you know, if you want to be a musician, go to music school and do that. Like, Find what you're passionate about and do that because that's what you're going to be incredibly, you know, that's what you're going to be successful at. That's what's going to feed you. You know, I, I think the idea of going to college to get a job just to pay your bills so you could work until you're 60 and then you could retire and maybe have like five years of sitting around before you die. Like, no, nah, mm, that's not, that's, that's not, I that's very much the, forgot to the live. Scottish version, mm. Kenny, isn't it? <laughs> I, well, I, I, was, I was sitting here thinking like, well, being in education a bit longer gives you a bit longer to figure out what you want to do. But, but in the UK, all that's kind of funded. Whereas mm-hmm. in America, man, it's just whew, big, big money, money, pennies money. to stay in education, man. It's like hundreds of thousands of dollars to get an education, well, just to get the chance to possibly pass and get an education because mm-hmm. you're not guaranteed to pass, are you? Like, you just, yeah, no, not at all. Uh, and there are different options. That's one nice thing. Like, cause we have like in California, we have our community colleges that don't cost very much, you know, and that's one reason why I was going cause I couldn't afford it. Uh, we have our Cal state system, you know, maybe that's a couple thousand every year. I'm guessing uh, the UCLA, the, the UC system, which is uh, a little bit better, a little bit more expensive. And then you have private colleges, which, you know, could cost like 70,000 a year or, or something like that, which oh. is incredible. Yeah. So that's not a, I wouldn't want to take <laughs> that kind of debt. Again. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. So you see, you've got kids, are they, are they going to go to colleges? Are they not sure? Are they still too young? Um, my son is seven. He probably wants to be a gamer or a YouTuber. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and I was like, no, what? like, why not? If you could make money doing something that you really enjoy, like I, I've been trying to think of why that's a bad idea, but I think he would probably be successful at it and he has a good personality. And then my daughter, she is 12. Um, she thinks she might want to be an author. We're actually working on uh, two books together. Uh, oh, wow. So- yeah, so I'm I'm hoping by the time she's 18, you know, we'll have those two books out. You know, that'd be just a nice little, that'd be a cool way to start her career if she already yeah. has two books. Yeah. So, uh-huh. Now, have you seen the the wee guy on YouTube, Ryan's Toy Reviews? Have you seen that? Oh yeah. He's like a multi multi millionaire, and he's like ace. Yeah, uh, amazing. Crazy. It's crazy, and and my my reaction to that was always negative, you know, because because I think we get jealous when yeah. we see someone oh, else, especially if you think of like, oh, anyone could have done that. I could have done that. Um, but yeah. now I look at these guys, you know, my son is always watching videos on Minecraft and Fortnite. And he mm-hmm. watches these same YouTubers and they have millions of views per episode. And at first I was like, in my head, again, I was being real negative. I was like, no, these guys have put the time in. They have created this product. They've advertised it. They're, you know, they're, what, what's Making wrong about that? Like, yeah, they're, they're, they're changing their life and they're offering something good for people. So a lot, know, of people, a lot of people don't realize as well, because probably similar to Kenny and I, like, let's be honest, Kenny, when, when we started the podcast, we were thinking, oh, 
within a year Easy. we'll be working, Easy. that'll be full time, we'll be uh, no, loads of Joe Rogans. But to see the amount of effort and time and just the amount of time it takes out your day if you're editing or it's just crazy. So to these guys who have made a, a career out of it and are successful, it's like fair play. Because yeah. it's, hard, yeah. it's not easy. <laughs> exactly. no, definitely not. But um so you you started writing. What age did you did you start doing that? Um when I was young, I used to write a lot of uh, I think in high school I was writing a lot of dark stuff, but I never did anything with it. Um I remember getting an A in my English English class because I wrote a short story where I killed my English teacher and all the students in the class. Like now. That's an episode, that's an episode in a TV show, man. That is like something. Have you heard of the, sh- the TV show Community with the American? Oh, yeah. Uh, that's something yeah, that would be in Community. Uh, Danny Glover's amazing. I love him. Man. I think I think he was scared of me. Now, nowadays, if someone did that, they would be probably brought into the principal's office and get into a lot of trouble. Um but that was kind of the start. And then I think it, was, it wasn't was until after I graduated from Brown, I got this idea for a book and I just started writing it. And then like that book will never see the light of day. It's terrible. Uh, but it just gave me, it, it made me realize I enjoyed it. And then I started liking to do short stories and it just kind of consumed me. And I just did more and more and more. And uh, I think it was eight years ago or nine years ago is when I finally released my first book. And uh, since then that's, that's my go-to like that's and now i also realize just um you know how much it's helped me you know it, it's Release. not only a huge catharsis like i i've i've gotten out you know I, i've dealt with all these issues about having a messed up brain about being a drug addict about being an alcoholic uh you know i had a failed marriage i had you know all these different things i've been able to just put that into my fiction and it's just such a powerful way to kind of you know release those emotions deal with the you know the fear of death and everything else mm-hmm so see when you were writing when you were really young was that someone said why don't you write or did you go this is i feel this is helping me or you just did it because you enjoyed it uh i think i just did it because i enjoyed it uh Mm -hmm. but it wasn't and and for sure especially when i you know when i like 23 when i first started getting into that first novel you know i wasn't sharing any of my writing with anyone um so it was just something that it felt it felt good it felt mm-hmm. like it was i needed something more um i was also fighting at the time and working um but that's what i don't know my brain just kept wanting to go back to it i just wanted to finish it i wanted to flesh it out and then i just had more and more ideas coming to me and uh the more i did it the more they would come yeah oh, mm-hmm. so, i'm so bad at writing now <laughs> I think well, it that, takes so much to do it. It takes so much effort. Uh, I, I I bet you know, and, and I just one of one of the things that I absolutely love is is proving people wrong. You know, and and like uh, you, I, I have an assignment that I give to all my friends. Um, you know, it's one that completely. You know, I had the biggest emotional breakthrough, and it was writing about a moment in my life that changed me. And I, I didn't think I had a moment like that, but I came up with one. It had happened like 12 years before. I thought I was over it. And then in the process of writing it, man, like there was one night where I was crying and writing until like six in the morning, you know, and, wow. and I was able to release all this guilt and all the, these emotions that I, I didn't realize that I still had stored in me. So, you know, that's the assignment I give to all my friends. And the big thing is, yeah, maybe you, maybe right now you cannot write like your favorite author or, or whatever else. Or maybe, maybe it's diff, you know, a little difficult, but if you can just embrace the way that you think, you know, the way that you talk, uh, 
the best advice my instructor, my mentor ever gave me was, um, you know, embrace the way that you talk when you're telling a story, whether it's written or, or verbal, he's like, pretend you're telling it to a friend you haven't seen like in 20 years, but mm-hmm. after you both had a couple of drinks, like that's how you would normally talk. That's yeah. how you should write. And so if you're writing yeah. at first person and you're just writing how you would tell this story, then there really shouldn't be, you know, the concern with like, I don't worry about grammar. I don't worry about spelling. I don't worry about that. You know, you let all <laughs> that go out the window. You know, if, yeah. and if you simply, if you recorded yourself, if you, uh, you know, dictated or whatever, yeah. You, you know, it would be a good story. And then you have someone help you put it in shape. And then you have someone teach you like, oh, here's here's something cool you could do here. And so like with any other muscle, you know, it's just it just needs to be worked. You know, your writing mm-hmm. muscle just needs to be worked. So it's not because I didn't think I could write either. Um, but the more you do it, uh, the better you get at it. And um, yeah, you might surprise yourself. But I think, you know, doing a, a guided, directed writing like that, is uh pretty powerful and I, I encourage everyone to try it yeah see yeah. and your your sort of research that you've done so far on brain injuries and stuff like that do you think something like writing or get, can impact positively because you're using your brain and you're training it exactly in fact uh chapter 11 i just finished it uh one of the one of the sections in there is on writing and how powerful it could be so not only one thing is to to write things down, you know, and that's a different form of writing, but just to create a list, like, dude, I have a list for every day. Um, you know, some people need that to have that structure. Uh, but then there's also like a gratitude journal or just a daily journal where you can write and you can get, you know, deal with those emotions. That's helpful. Um, nonfiction is super helpful, you know, because I'm looking at all these things. I'm, t- I'm dealing with my emotions. But then, and like we kind of mentioned earlier with the fiction and with the directed writing, I actually had to do research on this because I was going to, I was going to teach a class on it. I actually taught it twice and I decided I don't want to teach because it takes up too much of my time and I'd rather write. Um, Mm -hmm. But I did all this research and yeah, it it can help with anxiety, uh, uh, OCD. Oh, there's the the list of things that directed writing can help is amazing. And, you know, so many psychologists and mental health professionals offer it. It's used in prisons. It's used all over in all these different settings. And it's because it, it can be, incredibly powerful it's quick and it's free you know anyone can do it yeah so uh yeah so there's definitely uh i i that's one of my best suggestions for for people anyone to do but especially if you yeah. have tbi symptoms yeah. so it's very therapeutic almost uh, yeah yeah it's a great people therapy. read it back and they, that's when they connect to these emotions when they see it on paper and then they really feel it and stuff like that I, exactly I need handwriting lessons as well. I'm making excuses. I'm just making excuses. <laughs> one of, um, you know, one of the things I'm really grateful for was starting, because I never, I always hated journals. I was like, I don't want a diary. That sounds like it's for a girl, mm-hmm. you know. But when I started doing the brain book, um, my therapist, he's like, oh, every day, just write down your emotions and what you're dealing with and whatever. If you had a fight, if you meditated. If, so what's awesome is, because my memory is terrible, I would have forgotten all those things if I hadn't written them down. So not only was it good for me to write it down at that moment and kind of try to figure them out, but now I was able to go back. I'm like, oh, for chapter two, yeah, let's go back to the journal. What was I actually feeling at that time? And then I could look, I'm like, oh, damn, I was really messed up back then. You know, because if I were just to look back now from three years ago without having this journal, and I would probably just tell you like, ah, I was kind of fine the whole time. But by looking back, I'm like, yeah, I was like, oh no, no, I wasn't fine. Here's my proof. You know, here's 
here's what I was saying or thinking back at these dates. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, it's good to reflect. I, I feel as if, sorry, Gavin, I cut you off no, again, no. but this stuff pure interests me. It's unbelievable how much, like, like hearing about, like, see, if I wrote that down, then I would question myself. I'd go, did I feel like that? Or did I just lie? Because I've needed to write something down that day. And I'm like, ah, oh, no, nah. things like that. Just when you say, oh, no, here's the proof I did feel that, I'm thinking. Uh, you're overthinking I would, it. I, would, uh, I used to you start mind-fucking yourself a wee bit. <laughs> uh, I, I've definitely had that. But you know what? I, I just go with it. Because I, I know, like, when I write something down, especially because I knew no one was going to look at this. If I if, if I had been concerned that someone else would see it, like my mm-hmm. wife, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of it I wouldn't have been as honest with but I knew it was just for me and there was no reason to lie. Um, and I've always been very self-reflective, well, especially like in the last five years. So um, I think if you make that commitment to yourself, like, no, I'm going to write down what I'm really feeling. Um, and there might be some days where you, you know, maybe I just put like, oh man, I just had such a, I was angry today, you know, just left it like that. Yeah. I didn't go really deep. Um, but just an overview of, of what your day's like. But I think, you know, I think that's incredibly powerful uh you know in, in probably it takes what maybe five minutes out of your day um yeah so. definitely what um what came first for you then did you start writing where you were in high school and college and then getting into fighting or did you start fighting and then kind of thinking about a career wise you've realized that you are you know very good at putting pen to paper i think i was i think i was fighting first um, yeah, because the high school stuff, I would say I wasn't, I didn't think I had any ability to really write. So it wasn't until I was fighting that I also picked up writing. Um, you know, I really wanted to be successful at fighting. Like, that was my identity. I, it was so cool to be a strong, tough guy and be able to tell, mm-hmm. you know, I was no longer marked this quiet guy, that introvert. I was, I was marked a fighter and I could hook up with people at, you know, after a fight or, or whatever else. And so yeah. um, I didn't want to give that up but I enjoyed the writing at the same time. Um, but it wasn't until, you know, it probably wasn't until about 10 years ago that I thought I could actually make a career out of writing. And man, I'm still working on that. Like it's, it's incredible. I'm a independently published, so I'm doing everything myself. Uh, but the nice thing is like, I've put in so much work uh, with my fiction, my nonfiction. Um, like I'm finally seeing, you know, things are starting to pay off. Uh-huh. Um, and what's awesome, like this conversation with you guys, like this is awesome. The fact that anyone wants to talk to me, the fact that anyone wants to listen <laughs> to what I have to say, like, and especially someone in another country, like that's super cool. That's amazing. So I'm, yeah. I'm thrilled, you know. So you, you are number one bestseller on Amazon. That was just that was for a short period of time, uh, you know. And I always, I always hesitate to Take put it, that man. out there. Take it. Uh, Take it. Yeah. <laughs> It still happened. And, and, and that's what that's what everyone says is like, okay, if you have the proof, if you can show them the thing. Uh, but yeah, Twisted Reunion, that's my highest rated book. That's a uh, 28 short horror stories. Um, that hit number one in horror, and then I had Brightside, which is my first book. Uh, that hit the number one in uh, suspense. And so uh, you know, but those were just for a short amount of time, and so now it's about Okay, how do I promote it? How do I get you know more and more and more? Uh, you know, I've been yeah. trying to grow, grow my newsletter and, and really focusing. This whole last year through the pandemic was about focusing on business and learning the mm-hmm. business side because I always told myself, all I want to do is write. Uh, I'm just going to produce a lot of books. Uh, eventually, they'll take off. I'll get lucky. I'll get on Joe Rogan. 
you know, he'll love the MMA book or the brain book. So that was what was going in my head. But now I'm like, no, I got to take responsibility. I have to treat this as a business. I have to learn how to market. I have to learn all these things. And so that's what this whole last year has been Uh, while still writing. Maybe, you know, it definitely cut into the writing time, but now I feel like, okay, now I have a business plan. Now I can, I have a strategy. So instead of just blindly throwing stuff out there, you know, I I would release a book when I, when I, when I released uh, my unlock in the cage, my MMA book, I, completely uh, shut down. I didn't have a release online at all. Uh, I left all social media because I was having like, not a nervous breakdown, but shit pretty close. Um, you know, so um, I, I've, I've self-sabotaged a lot, but I was like, okay, no, I'm not doing that. I want to be successful. I want to show my kids that if you put in the work and, you know, everything else, you could do it. And for me, I haven't had to be successful financially because my wife's a lawyer. Uh, you know, I'm a stay-at-home dad. That's my main job, my most important job. And so writing, like I never had to be successful, but yeah. now it's like, now I'm determined because I, I do mm-hmm. want, and it was like, and the more money I make, the more I can help other people, you know, the more healing I could bring about if they read the nonfiction. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more motivated than I've ever been. That's, that's even more to, um, to be grateful for or to be surprised about, I suppose, is that the fact that, you were you're an independent publisher, and you still managed to get yourself to number one on Amazon. So exactly, you know, I know, I know that's, that's that's a positive. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's it's not easy, especially there are so many books that come out every single day. Oh so my God. Is it, trying is it to penguin? stand out is hard. That's like what's penguins like one of the big big ones. What was it? maybe kids, but but now fuck penguin man, just do it yourself. <laughs> exactly. So, so why why did you do it yourself? Was was it just you were wanting to do it yes that was it and you wanted to be so well part of it was um thinking i was a lot better than i was uh like to be honest you know i thought i had this great book uh but a big part of it was not wanting to deal with uh rejections anymore so i was tired of hearing back from publishers or agents after they would look at it for a long time and then they finally say no and that was just like i was ready to release it i just thought it was ready to go and that eventually um, you know, I thought my MMA book was going to be the one that would break me out. I thought I was like, oh, I'm going to interview so many people. I'll have such a network, uh, you know, if I do it right. And then that will bring out everything else. But um, and I've kind of gone back and forth. I've been approached by agents about uh, like my Try Not to Die series. Um, and they said, you know, that they can sell it. And but I, then, you know, I, I was tempted. But I was like, I like having control because w- with that series, I write with people that I've never even written before. I'm writing with my friends. I'm writing with, you know, just people that I meet that I think will have a cool story in them. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't want any kind of restrictions. I want to be able to put out what I want to put out. Uh, And so by doing it myself, you know, that's one of the nice pros. There's definitely a lot of drawbacks to it. Um, But being able to, you know, to do it. And then the other really cool thing too, lots of times uh, my, sister and my father are my two main editors. My, my dad was an editor his whole life. My sister was an oh. English teacher. Um, after my first two books, my editor left me. I was, I was really worried. I thought about getting another one, but then I had them do it. And uh, I recently just told him, I said, look at our reviews. I said, that's because of you guys. Like if mm. we didn't put out a good book, you know, it, the reviews would reflect that, you know? Yeah. And, and so I was like, the editor, editors are huge. So I was like, I, you know, I was grateful for what they did, but I was, I was always hesitant to even let people know that, like, 
you know, it was edited by my family. But now I was like, I take that as a source of pride. It's like, okay, oh, you're able to prove that we could put out a very good product that, you know, I, I have some fans it. telling me, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the next Stephen King. And, you know, wow. and that's hard for me to believe or to, or to even to hear, but it's cool to see, you know, my books on the same shelf with Stephen King. And, you know, that's, that's yeah, for sweet. me, like, that's yeah. awesome. If someone like Stephen King, the, you're kind of, idol been into the kind of horror stories and stuff like that as well is that yeah i think i think he is the reason i probably started writing and why my writing was so dark because i read i up until 10 years ago i had read every single thing he wrote uh and even his book on writing also dean Koontz. um so when people read my stuff they they can tell that uh that work has influenced me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's right. definitely, you know, it's, it's not trying to copy someone's style, but the more you read of something, it's going to, it's going to find it's, its a, way again, in. It's the, the, the product of the environment that you're in. It's just, it's just what's going to exactly. happen. And, and that's not to say that someone like Stephen King, I, but so, someone like Stephen King um, doesn't have the same thought process. He's maybe went through something similar. He's made, do you know what I mean? So uh, it's, like it's relatable. Aye, aye. It all depends on what you, what's in your, in your mind, I suppose. Exactly. What's your, yeah. What's your, what's your like? How long are your books? Like, how many pages is like? Um, the longest one was the MMA book, like probably three hundred pages. Uh, Ain't no Messiah, maybe about three hundred pages. Most the last two, like the ones in Brightside, are are fast reads. Uh, like seventy thousand pages. Uh, seventy thousand words, which is like two hundred and something pages. Yeah. Uh, and then the Try Not to Dies are all really small. They're like um. I don't know if you guys had them as kids, but uh, choose your own adventure where every couple of pages you would get to choose what uh, happened. Go this way or go that way. And yeah. yeah. So that's what try not to die is. So it's like a short story. Um, there's one way through the book, but if you choose wrong, then you die. You can choose that one wrong, <laughs> you die. And there's like 30 ways to die. Uh, so half of the book is just filled with death scenes. Um, but those are a lot of fun. <laughs> See the, the, the captain, the, the, <laughs> trying to write that length of a book and what's your process like how do you go down and go write i need 300 pages or do you just let everything in your brain come out and just see where it lands pretty much i like that approach sometimes you know with, with a short story sometimes it might just be a title that will come to me uh sometimes it might be the end sometimes it might be just a character uh and then i'll just slowly fill it out i'll i'll, I'll write as much as i know um when, when I first started, I was definitely doing it more like, okay, I have to write chapter one, then chapter two, then chapter three, you know, and they all have to be good before I go down. Now I don't do that. Now I just kind of get it out on there. I try to plot it out. I write it, whatever I know. And then every time I make a pass, I go over it the next day. I'll try to add as many lines as I can in each of the sections. And then before you know it, you have a bigger document, a bigger document. And so just adding to it, adding to it, adding to it. Um, and not being afraid of writing something wrong. You know, it's like lots of times I'll be like, ah, I don't know what's going to happen here, but I think he kills this person. You know, I don't know what's going to happen here, but let's think about this. And so writing a lot of notes to myself, but um, yeah, with the, with the try not to dies, those are a little bit more of a formula. Like I know it's going to be about 20 chapters, you know, I, and the easiest way that I, the thing that's helped me the most with writing is, man, I just break everything down into three parts. So if, and that's why I try to get it across to people that want to write something like, okay, it doesn't matter if it's a, a, a novel, nonfiction, a short story, or a chapter, 
break, you know, just break it into three parts. There's, there's the start, there's the middle and there's the end, you know, and then you could take a look at the start, like, okay, well, what are the three parts of the start? You know, what's the start of the start in the middle of the start. And, <laughs> and by doing that, that makes it super easy for me. Cause I was like, okay, cause just trying to write on a blank page, that's intimidating. And, and, mm-hmm. Yeah. Very daunting. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you start to see like, Oh no, I already have my main points and now I just need to write about those points. And so um, that's super helpful for me. And uh, yeah, that's probably, that's probably saved a lot of time for me, made me a lot more efficient. That's good. That you've got a process that you, you believe in as well. Do you know what I mean? Cause it makes it a lot less time consuming I'd imagine as well. Um, but how many books do you have out then? Right now, uh, I think it's twelve. Well, eleven, and then like one short, one or two, lib, you know, uh, short story collections, small ones. So I think it's eleven books. Eleven. And have you had a a preference of one that you've written that you really got involved with specifically? Um, one that was the number one seller on I, Amazon. I had a really hard time with uh, Beyond Brightside. So I just I released that one. So that's the sequel to Brightside. And I had a hard time with it because I knew that was going to be the last book in the series. Uh, and I wasn't going to be able to have the characters anymore. I really cared about them. Um, and it's pretty much, you know, walking a character to his death. Uh, oh. Spoiler alert. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that is a, it's a really hard thing to do. But I, it's hard to say because that one, you know, that one's more suspense, psychological thriller. That's about uh, people that could hear each other's thoughts. Uh, the government outlaws it. People are killing telepaths. Um, this guy gets stuck in this little town and he's able to hear the thoughts of everyone else there is a telepath. So not only can he hear their thoughts, but they can hear his and just how awful that would be. Um, like that was a lot of fun, but 25 perfect days, you know, that's dystopian. Uh, that was super cool. And my ain't no Messiah that's book one in a five book series. So I still need to do four more in that series. So, um, that's what's next on my list along with, Man, I think I have about 15 Try Not to Dies that are currently being worked on right now. Um, and those, that's the nice thing about having co-authors is I'm able to pop in and out. Like they'll give me a chapter mm-hmm. and then I'll go back, I'll work on it, give it back to them and tell them, hey, how about this? What do we do this death scene? So um, we have a, like Try Not to Die at Death Fest, which is like a heavy metal concert that's coming up. Uh, Try Not to Die Super High. Uh, that should be out this year. Uh, try not to die in the Wizard's Tower. That's going to be like a D&D themed one. Um, and so we just have all kinds of uh, try not to die in Iraq. Uh, we, I, I'm hitting, the hardest. Yeah, so <laughs> the I'm hitting all these different stories because I'm pulling them out of these other uh, co-authors. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. So my, I couldn't write try not to die in Iraq because I've never been to Iraq. Be. Mm-hmm. But my good friend, you know, he served there. He saw so much craziness. And by writing about it, like, man, just talking about it and writing that book uh, knocked out his night terrors, you know, and that was, yeah, like, it's incredible. I never expected that. And and whether it was because we just taught, we're talking while we were writing, you know, he was telling me about these things that he experienced or because he was changing them in the book. um, Yeah, his night terrors went away. And that was the only thing different from the previous, like, five years, six years. So that was super. See, see when you went to your friend to, did you ask him about doing the Try Not to Die in Iraq or did he say this would be a good one um, to do? I have given him different things to choose from. Uh, generally, 
after I talk with someone, I have a pretty good idea of what they're into. Um, but with him, I, I suggested, a, you know, and I wasn't sure whether or not he would want to, but I knew it was going to be good. For him. Yeah. I knew, I knew talking about it would be beneficial. I didn't know how good it would be, but I also just thought, you know, I wanted to be able to show, I wanted to be able to show both sides, you know, it's like, yeah. okay. And, and not looking at it just from like a gung-ho Marine, let's kill some people. You know, this mm-hmm. is a guy that, you know, he saw both sides. He saw some terrible stuff. He, and uh, you know, and just trying to give an honest look at things. Uh, yeah. I think it's what I want to do more than anything. Uh, just, I find that when you have somebody who, you know, served there and then you speak to them and you're thinking oh, this could go either way, really, it could, it could set them off again. And but there you go, man, just goes to show it. If you can put this down on paper and, Really get it out there and get it off. See, uh-huh. see and one w- of you guys could come up with the try not to die in Scotland or, <laughs> or, or something <laughs> something specific over there, you know, that I would have no idea about. That I like, I couldn't write about the culture there. I couldn't write about whatever. I couldn't write about whatever event it was, but I could help form this story with my co author, you know. Well, so, let, uh, let me tell you, there's about 10,000 ways you could die in Glasgow. So <laughs> you've got plenty to really? write about. <laughs> Alcoholism when is probably a, the when, biggest one. When, when you're doing a COVID, when you're doing a COVID one, Oof. yeah, really we, doing we, a COVID, man. Yeah, we did. Uh, try not to die in the pandemic. Um, yeah. So that was that was this past year. We weren't sure. We started that book at the start of the pandemic. Um, we weren't sure whether or not we should do it. But my co-author actually had uh, COVID. Uh, he lost a couple of friends to it. He had a couple of friends die from COVID. Uh, oh, so I left it on him. I'm like, hey, if you want to. Uh, and we changed the name of it. We didn't make it COVID. It wasn't, the whole yeah. book wasn't about um, the actual pandemic. It was just these people that are stuck on a boat because of the pandemic. Um, but I was like, that's a good way to deal with our fears, our frustrations, all these different emotions we have about the pandemic. Like, why not put them in there? And then anyone that reads it, like, that could be a release for them as well, you know? Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you find as well... Uh, because you're, you know, you as you said, you've smoked cannabis for like 32 years. Do you feel like when you smoke as well, does that give you an extra level of thoughts? Or I think so, you know, and I, I never wanted to use it as a crutch. I never wanted to feel like I had to smoke in order to write. In fact, I recently just watched an old video when I was I was sober, um, and I was I was finding that my creativity was fine, but when I was, when I used to be under a lot of stress or, or even now, if I have a lot of stuff going on throughout my day, let's say I'm a little wound up, um, it'd be very hard to fall right into writing, especially fiction. You know, the, the nonfiction is a little bit easier because it's more rational, but if I want to imagine this other world and, and imagine these creatures and this, these different characters and come up with a whole story, smoking definitely helps because it just, it just focused my mind. Like I'm able just to zoom in, uh, open the mind and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be a bad influence on people, but for me, that's definitely, it, it, it's helped my creativity, I think. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that's a lot of people, a lot of musicians, especially, um, they feel that when they smoke or they're, they're, they're high or whatever, it, it creates a different animal inside them that they just they can just rhyme off the, all these words. And it's amazing, especially rappers. That's what you associate it with, isn't it? But <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, I, I, can, I can imagine how it would you know, impact you. Definitely. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's, it's definitely been one of my go-tos for a long time. That's <laughs> mm. it could be worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that could be so much worse. Who, who does your artwork for your, the covers of your books? 
Um, I usually come up with the ideas myself. I'll, I'll draw them out. And, uh, you know, I, and that's probably a terrible idea. That's probably not the right idea. Um, and then I'll give it to different artists. Some of my, uh, my ain't no Messiah was done by a really good friend of mine, uh, which was cool. Uh, I try to keep it. I try to keep it with people that I know. Um, yeah. Uh, 25 perfect days. The one right behind me, that was actually, uh, my good my good friend, uh, he's a photographer. And so he did a series of photos for each of the short stories. And then he gave me that as the cover. Uh, and so that, you know, that makes it just extra special when I'm able to bring in someone that I'm cool with. Uh, so, but that's, yeah, that's generally where they come from. So is that, is this your, your newest book behind you? Um, no, but I just released a new story in it. I wasn't sure what to put up today behind me. I was like, I, I just got my new green screen. I'm like, okay, what, what should I put <laughs> looks, up? Uh, looks so cool. Just yeah. change it. Just change it. The next five <laughs> on, a, just, on a loop. Just a rolling loop. Yeah. yeah, here. Uh, let's see. What do we've got? Um, I, well, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to make it too much into... Oh, like, okay. you, you know, that, that was another one. So uh, they're, they're, they're fun to play with. Yeah, uh, but this, uh, this is the one that my friend did. Um, wow. the Eat No Messiah. Um, you know, he did that all. He's a great artist, he's done other stuff for me. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. sweet, isn't it? Uh, I wish I could draw as well because our uh, uh, good friend Steve, he's, he's been on the podcast, sponsors the podcast, and he's got a green screen. And he's like, take take this with these and, and get it set up. And oh, it's just so intimidating for me. It's just like, well, you know what? Green screen and, <laughs> It was intimidating for me too, but then, dude, I just happened to see this one. It was like fifty bucks, you know, and yeah. it's super easy to use. So I was like, eh, I'll do it. Uh, he's given. He's like, take this with you. Like, just take it. He's uh, no, no. But he's just like, set it up and give it a go. And I'm like, oh man, I how did what do I do? It feels like I'm, I'm like way behind in the times when it comes to technology. And te- technophobe. Uh, easy. Hi, hi. Uh, but we also we also forgot it as well. So, um, hi, but Steve. <laughs> I see how you mentioned it, Steve, because um, Mark, we also have a, we've got a gaming channel on YouTube. Oh, awesome. Um, and Steve, a good friend and sponsor of the podcast, uh, Sphere McDonald Hodge Media. Um, he's an absolute wizard when it comes to anything media. Editing. Amazing. Absolute wizard. So just a, a quick thanks to Steve uh, on that one. Uh, but um, but yeah, I, I'm really interested to find out how the whole, uh, we understand how you're, yeah, you get motivated to become, try to become a professional boxer and MMA fighter. What was the process? So, so you, you mentioned you didn't have any amateur fights. Did you just decide I'm going to move to Las Vegas here and give it a, give it a go? I was, I was dumb. I, um, so I had done some kickboxing. I did some smoker matches and then I, Oh, it's when I started, um, I was a bouncer, uh, not a bouncer. I was a bodyguard. So I got a job as a bodyguard for all these celebrities in Hollywood. And part of our training oh. was, um, we had I was at their house, like in very, very big, um, like I would be, I would spend all, like be there the entire night in a guest house, um, yeah, I got to meet a lot of cool celebrities. Do you, do you, are you allowed to name them, or is there any? No, I'm not, I'm not supposed to name them. Uh, uh, I don't think. Uh, fair it's, it's probably it's probably long enough since I I was with them, but uh, yeah, but I got to meet quite a few, um, and they're all. I mean, they weren't all cool, but lots of them were. <laughs> um, but I got to. I, I realized uh, we had to do defensive tactics, and with that, it was you know there there was some grappling involved. 
my instructor was a black belt in like all these different um, forms, like karate and all this stuff. But when we started grappling, I realized like, man, I could I could take him out in like 20 seconds just because I'm bigger and stronger and have a little bit of, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. And so I went and I found uh, Beverly Hills Jiu Jitsu and I started training under Marco Huas and Boss Rutten. Uh, wow. Done, yeah. Massive. And, I see that. I don't know who this is because Gav's crazy. I mean, he loves UFC, you know that. And, uh, oh, yeah. Boss, Boss is awesome. Uh, yeah, Mar- Mar- Marco was uh, pretty rough. Um, <laughs> but at the, t- at the same time, like Mark Kerr would come into classes and, and uh, I-, I trained with Olog Tartaroff. Um, and, but with boss, he, he was just so awesome. He told me, you know, I, I wanted to fight right away. He told me to wait. I snuck out and I did my first fight. I got to barely <laughs> training, um, I actually paid 50 bucks to, to do the fight. So I didn't get paid to fight. I, I paid to fight. Paid to fight. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and did so, no, I lost. I, it was, I thought it was a bullshit decision. Usually, usually I'm pretty honest. Like I thought I won that one. Um, but then I did one with boss in my corner. I lost that one. Um, I even, I was on TV with the guy choking me out and my nose bleeding. I had friends see that. That wasn't cool. Um, but after that, I went to another school, trained more, did some more MMA. And then that's when I got talked to, I was going to do a bare knuckle boxing match. And that's how I got suckered into boxing because I went to a real boxing. Like I was going to take this fight against some Russian champion um, he was like a 10 year Russian bare knuckle boxing champion. I was going to fight him in Alabama and I had never boxed before. So that's the level, that's the level of stupidity I had. Um, uh, that's like a team. I've got one of my big mates. He's, he done a, he done kickboxing after three months, went to Bulgaria, had three fights, won them all. He beat a Bulgarian kickboxing champion. So it's no, it's no, I don't know if these people are saying, yeah, well, you're good. I mean, you, you must have done well. It could, it could go one It could go one or two ways, couldn't it? That's, it, it could, that's but the, the, odds, the odds were not in my favor, <laughs> like for sure. Yeah. And luckily, fortunately, the fight fell out um, like a month before they realized that they couldn't get insurance for us. Like, because they even flew me out there for the press conference. Uh, they were trying to offer Mike Tyson money to fight the fight, the winner, um, you know. In hell? I, I think How I was going to get 5000 like for the fight. Um, I feel like you were a bit of a big deal, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> but go again, from, like, have you been security to being on TV? Like, how does this, Almost fight Mike Tyson? Huh? Like, ah. Wow. Well, that that if it if it had actually happened, that would have been awesome. Although I probably wouldn't be here talking about it. He would have killed me. Uh, I was also uh, one one week away from fighting in the UFC against uh, Ian Freeman, who I think is from the UK. Um, Ian the Machine Freeman, uh, but I, I separated my collarbone like a week beforehand. Um, at the time, I was training with uh, uh, Ken Shamrock a little bit, wow. And, oh, wow. And, and they wanted me to fight with just my one arm, um, but I I told him I could, and I was like, he was already gonna, I was probably already gonna get beat, um, and so I backed out of that. I, I missed my chance to be in the UFC, so uh, was like, Ian Freeman was from Sunderland, uh, he's a good guy. Wow, man, that's when when you spoke about when we spoke about your sort of boxing MME um, career earlier on, I, I feel it was if you brushed it. But that's so that's quite. You've done it again, man. You've been like, ah, there's nothing. Fucking hell, you nearly fought Mike Tyson. <laughs> you were on TV. <laughs> yeah, Come but. Well, I, I had a boxing match on TV too, but I lost that one. So it's not fun being on TV when you lose. Uh, um, uh, you know, that's so it's 
Uh, and and what's funny is that fight, I was actually a prison guard at the time. So when I was in Vegas, I would work nights at the prison. I'd get off at six in the morning, come home, sleep a little bit, go in box, um, and then do it again. But that's when I had my fight. It was at the Hard Rock, I think, and it was televised. And all the guys at the prison saw it. So all the inmates ah. at the prison saw me lose this fight, and they were talking <laughs> – like lots of them respected me for it, yeah. but then they, I, I also heard a lot, you know. Uh, well, listen, there's something to be said for someone who can step in a ring or a cage. It takes a lot of balls to do it, regardless, aye. you know. So whether you win or you lose, it's it's, anything can happen, really. Isn't it? Anything it's, it's can no, happen. It's not guaranteed. So putting your body in the line, eh? What 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 years were you between when you were in Las Vegas? Um, I was at Vegas from 2000 to 2004. I think, right. yeah, my last fight was, I was living in Vegas, but the fight was in Florida. And I think that was 2004 and I had a really bad concussion. Um, I lost like 15 minutes of time. Like I saw the punch coming. And then next thing I know, I was in the locker room talking to my coaches. Um, and what was crazy was I still fought for like another minute or two after getting hit. And I never went completely out, but like those 15 minutes of time were just gone. And so that was enough to scare me out of fighting. Well, you talk that's about SIS, I think it's called. Yeah, that, that's so a secondary blow. You've you've get you've just yeah, been concussed yeah. and you don't know it, and you're still fighting. That is, yeah, it, it's, it's scary. It's crazy. Yeah, that happened to me just in didn't like, Oh, sorry. No, no, I was just saying like, so you've been hit. You fought for another minute. You've left the ring. You've went to the changing rooms. You've had a conversation, and that's just your body in autopilot. Like you, you, yeah. you've not been in control of that. Yeah. Um, in the first time that happened to me, uh, I think I mentioned I, when I had the car accident. So two days mm -hmm. later, I was sparring against uh, Kelvin Davis. He was, uh, I think, 17 and 0, um, a cruiserweight. But we sparred all the time. I take this really hard shot in the first round and then we stop and I go get water, you know, and I never left my feet. You know, it's just a hard shot. And then we're outside of the ring and I tell my manager, I'm like, Hey, uh, Wes, I'm man. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm embarrassed. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, after that hit, I was like, that's the first time I, I couldn't get past the first round. He's like, dude, he's like, you just did four of the best rounds I've ever seen. He's like, after you took that hit, he's like, you fought so well. He's like, that's the best you you've done in here, Mark. And I couldn't remember what day it was. I didn't remember the car accident. I didn't. So completely on autopilot. That was, that's the scariest moment I've probably ever had. Just not knowing, knowing that I did all that stuff. And like, like he had actually shown me some video because I didn't believe him. Like it was like, yeah, I thought, right. I thought I'd gone out after that blow. I thought, I thought I got some water and just walked out of the ring, but I did another like three and a half rounds. That's crazy. That's crazy. It's like being blackout drunk and then somebody going, ah, I remember you trying to get a taxi and you ran out in the middle of the road and got naked. And like, <laughs> no, did he? No, I got a right. taxi and went home. Nah, there's this. It's a good comparison. Day. It's, but this is like a, it's a sober thing that you've been hitting the side of the head. Your brain's just went shut Shook down. It, survival yeah. mode, really, in it. It's like just survival mode. And then, yeah, I didn't. I didn't even know that was possible. I didn't know it was like you could even do that. But yeah, it, it is. Man, that would sad. That would scare me. I know that would never. I so much better doing writing, but it sounds it because just a lot of respect for the people who do it professionally. Like you think, oh, they're getting paid millions, but. Nah, uh, not yeah, all, not that, all people make it there. No, and that—that's what's really sad, man. One of the guys, actually, a guy that I fought and that I can't—you know—he was my sparring partner. I talked to him maybe a year ago because um, he saw I was doing the brain stuff, and 
Mm-hmm. And that guy never made any money and his brain, like he could, I could barely understand him talking. Um, he's just, his speech was so bad. And when I started bringing up the, you know, TBI symptoms, he didn't think he had any, but then I started telling him what I had, you know, with anxiety and depression and trouble thinking and everything that I was admitting to him. He's like, Oh my God. He's like, dude, he's like, that's, that's my life. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, and he doesn't have the money to do all these other things to fix his brain. And, and there's so many other guys that are like that. So many guys that will, you know, they'll attempt a career at fighting and they won't be successful and they're going to have some injuries, you know, down the road. And a lot of yeah. people put, put everything they have into trying to make a career in fighting as well. And they don't have a fallback. I mean, you're lucky in the sense that you're, you're a very good writer. So you've, creative, and you're creative and you're dra- driven, you know, so you've got something that you've actually, could accomplish afterwards, but a lot of these people are all in. Pardon my French, yeah, but yeah, in yeah. the some of them, you know, in, in the, I I see it a lot because I have so many friends. You know, all, most of the guys that I interviewed for Unlocking the Cage, I'm still friends with them on Facebook. Uh, you know, and some of them are champions. Uh, you know, Is I interviewed on, Dominic on Cruz YouTube as well. You've got that as well. Uh, yeah, Unlocking yeah. I think I have all my videos up on yeah. YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and like Dominic Cruz and Michael Chandler, and so I talked with with those kinds of guys. But then I talked with a lot of guys that just never made it. Um, But, you know, now some of them are, you know, they'll still coach, you know, and and they'll still be involved in martial arts. And for them, you know, maybe they're not making as much money as they would like, but they're feeling fulfilled. And, you know, it it may not, they may not have the job security later in life. And I kind of worry about that for them, but for the time being, their kind of approach and the way that they're dealing with it is like, no, this makes me happy. I'm doing what I love. I'm passing it on. And what, greater thing can I do so yeah. you know, I, that's that's how I try to look at it because yeah lots of times I want to tell people hey you sh- probably shouldn't fight but like who am I to say I know. you know to yeah, you shouldn't that. you can and cannot do something well, yeah. Michael, Michael Chandler is now the UFC fellow weight world champion oh yeah yeah so got a good interview there one person that springs to mind when when you mention um you know traumatic brain injuries instantly I thought of Donald Cerrone Oh, right. Because Donald Cerrone, Kenny, I know you're not really an MMA too much, but Donald Cerrone is the kind of guy, he's done it before, he's fought, and then two weeks later, someone else... Is that the else, cowboy? So someone's pulled out of the fight two weeks later, and he said, I'll, I'll fight. And it's two weeks after he's had a, a, a vicious fight, and he just does it. And you're like, well, this isn't going to end It's not good well. for you. Uh... But... Again, who I think you he's see set for life though, as you know, like you, he's pretty set. Like when you see the, Conor like, McGregor, Conor right? McGregor. <laughs> even before that, you see him. He's got like ranch and he's got the like, quad bikes. He's got his friends and stuff like. Yeah. Somebody got really lucky in the sense that he's yeah. no lucky and skillful. He's skillful as well. Uh, obviously, yeah. And, and talented you know, as well. I think I think time will be the only way that we'll know. Him. Like, it, let, let's see. You know, and and I hope he seems like an awesome guy. I have friends that are friends with him. Uh, I hope he'll be fine. Uh, you know, but who knows, like in 10 years, 15 years, um, you know, because we often won't see the, the things happen. Like, uh, well, you know, like guys my age, that's yeah. when it starts coming out. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, when they're in their 30s, everything's still cool. But when they hit their 40s, they're like, oh, shit, you know, my hormones, my testosterone, nothing, you know, and all these other problems. So and that's the thing about it's, MMA as well. It's, sorry, Kenny, it's, it's a no, very... Still a very recent sport. You're probably talking late nineties, early two thousands that it really kicked off. So that's only twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So people might be reaching their fifties now, or uh, so you this don't really know. See the, the after effects of it. 
Uh, yeah, yeah and we're, we're seeing that a lot. One person, uh, in fact, I, I mean, I've been meaning to go back, but uh, Baba Lou, um, Baba Lou. <laughs> I, yeah, man, he beat the hell out of me in unlocking the cage. I happen to be training. I used to go to King's MMA. One day, the coach didn't realize that I was a writer because I was finally in good shape and I was sparring. He put me against uh, Fabricio Verdum. The what? Oh, dude, I got pictures of that. <laughs> he, he beat the shit out of me for five minutes. And he was nice. So every time he would put me to my knee, I, I, I took a knee probably like eight times. And uh, the head coach, um, uh, Cordiero, like he was like looking at me like, get up. Um, so I did five minutes with him, took a round off with someone else. And then they put me in the cage with Baba Lou for five minutes. And again, just beat the shit out of me. Um, so that was, that was before I realized I should stop taking blows to the head. Uh, but Baba Lou, he's, he's talked openly about having, uh, you know, TBIs and he's had a lot of bad stuff happen from it. Um, so I, and he lives really close by, so I'm probably going to go down pretty soon and talk with him and Mm -hmm. just see, you know, if I could offer any advice or, you know, and just see what he's going through. So so I'm like, I'm (laughs) honestly amazed that, so you've sparred with Fabrizio Verdun and Baba Lou. He wasn't good sparring. Uh, He, 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 he practiced. Being in someone's presence is, is enough. Uh, But see, see when you're in, these gyms in America then. So if someone trains out of a specific gym and you're a fighter, do you quite often find that you will be partnered for sparring, even if you're not at the highest of levels and just to. It, it depends. Uh, they were looking at me because I was a bigger guy. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in the class, there weren't too many guys that are over 200 pounds and Fabricio is a big guy. Um, and so. Are you, are you yeah, tall, yeah, Mark? Are you like a tall guy? Uh, I'm 6'2", so not yeah. very tall, but, you know, a de- decent size. Um, much, much taller than me, (laughs) you know, and and when I, when I trained at the Las Vegas combat club, like I would often, uh, one of my training partners would be, uh, Frank Mir. And so he would beat the hell out of me like pretty regularly. Uh, awesome guy, just incredible. But like, I, you know, he'd been training for so a good amount of time already. He was already having these big fights and, but I was another body, you know, and, and, and he never, he never hurt me. You know, he, he never, he, we never sparred that hard. Uh, but it was, you know, I, I've had a chance to, to work with a lot of really cool people. Uh, when I went up to AKA, um, uh, Kane Velasquez, like in the jujitsu class, like he was showing me moves. Uh, Daniel Cormier came up to me. Jesus. He's like, Hey, he's like, you want to do some rounds? And so he was helping me with some boxing. Uh, just, and that's what I got to see. Like everyone was cool. Even if they didn't know I was a writer, uh, uh-huh. they wouldn't tear apart my, you know, my ability or my skill. Cause I was going in there, you know, 42 years old, 43 years old. Um, uh, but yeah, I got to work with so many people and just meet so many like awesome individuals. It was awesome. That's amazing. Most of these names, no disrespect to anybody, but I, I just it's not my world. So Gav's like, what? Like, wow. I know. <laughs> Kenny, Kenny, these are the, the biggest names in MMA. That's that's uh, the thing. Like. That's crazy. So see how you're saying you do jiu-jitsu. Have you done that for many years? Um, what's funny with jiu-jitsu, so I started with that, but I never cared for it. Like I thought it was, it was a tool that I could use to fight because all I cared mm-hmm. about was getting in the ring and fighting. And so I wanted to learn a little bit of that so I could protect myself a little f- from it and then use it. Um, but when I started going around the country, um, I, dude, I started like 
barely being able to get through a regular workout. Uh, you know, the the start of a workout. I was in terrible shape. Uh, and then I got a little bit better, a little bit better, started doing the jujitsu. And then I went to uh, 10th Planet in uh, here in California with Eddie Bravo. Yeah. And I just loved the system. I, I thought it was amazing. I was like, you know what? I want to learn this. I started going to class and I realized that all the white belts were just demolishing me. And these are guys like half my size. Um, and at the time I had a blue belt from way back when. So I threw my blue belt away. I put myself back to white belt <laughs> and, uh, you know, which is pretty unheard of. Um, but then I got my blue under Eddie and I got my purple. I was hoping to work up to my brown, but I've had neck injuries and then the pandemic. So hopefully I'll be able to return. But I love jujitsu. Uh, all jujitsu is awesome, but especially 10th Planet. So uh, I'm a huge fan. That's what uh, Joe Rogan, uh, he studies under Eddie. Uh, he, you know, that's where he Eddie Bravo. Eddie Bravo gave Joe Rogan his black belt in jiu-jitsu, didn't he? Yep. Eddie's awesome. Uh, he gave me a great blurb for the back of Unlocking the Cage. Uh, you know, we were actually going to be working on a – we talked about different projects together. So, no, Eddie, Eddie's an awesome guy. And, and his jiu-jitsu just – I think it's the perfect jiu-jitsu for MMA. And that's what he was trying to prove. Yeah. He's also the biggest conspiracy theorist you'll ever hear. <laughs> that's <laughs> – when I when I would go to his class, that's one reason why I loved going to his classes, um, you know, because I would listen to it. He had me on his podcast, his Eddie Bravo uh, radio. Uh, we were talking about uh, JFK. And yeah, so I, I've heard a lot of conspiracy theories from him. I'm not I'm not going to say I'm behind all of them, you know, that I believe. Them. Uh, but it, I, I do. Appreciate, I, I appreciate anyone that can take a look at. Uh, 100%, you know, right? Yeah. Examine different things. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Is it, were you ever at a class when Joe Rogan was there? Or was, no, no, I never had the chance to meet him. Um, still haven't. I, I need to give him my book, so sometime like, that's, soon. That's what sometime soon. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think so. I, 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 I that, that's the game plan. Um, and like we have the same doctor with the Dr. Mark Gordon. So, like, I owe so much of my research on the brain stuff to people that he's had on his podcast. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think it'd be super cool. But if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, that's all right too. Well, <laughs> you, you fit the profile. I think you, you're very um, easy to listen to. So I would uh, definitely listen nice if you were voice. on it. Uh, <laughs> very nice to listen to. Very, very good. So, uh, what, else, what, else, what else have we got to cover? What else? Did anything else you want to mention? Where can people find your book? Where do they buy it? Oh, um, all my books are on Amazon. Uh, so if anyone just, or go to my website, uh, Mark Tullius, T-U-L-L-I-U-S. The nice thing is not too many people have that name. Uh, and so you'll be able to find it. But yeah, all my books are on Amazon. Some of them are on different retailers, but I think Amazon's probably the best place to go. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you've undersold you as a person. <laughs> Unbelievably, man. I can't believe like. Well, in my see, in my in my view, like I see, and and I have to change this perspective. But I look at so many things I've done as failures. Like, okay, I wasn't a you know I wasn't a successful fighter. So for the longest, I didn't even want to do Unlock in the Cage because I was telling myself like, who am I to write this book? I'm not a fighter, you know. And uh, and the same thing with like not being a successful writer in my mind, you know. And so all these so yeah, I, I definitely I, I I do that a lot. I need to stop it. Uh, well, one of that. Like, what we'll say for this, you'll no longer say, ah, nah, I'm not, that. I'm not this. You are. I've I, I done a, a half time uh, at the Harlem Globetrotters in, in Australia. I've done a half time show, and you have to like do a, a layup, a free throw, a three pointer, and then a half court. 
I see I'm a basketball player now. Everyone. I was miserable. I was terrible at it, but I, nah, you just need to. Just, the, I, I was one time I, I'm, on the I, court I am with the Harlem Globetrotters. I, yeah, I, I see I'm a Harlem Globetrotter to everybody. <laughs> amazing. I can't well, believe some Mark, of the names I'm, that you've mentioned for Gav. That was amazing. Oh, I, I, honestly, I'm in, I'm in awe. Uh, some of the uh-huh. names that you've mentioned are, I just wasn't expecting it, to be honest. Um, uh-huh. And I, I've never been a, a massive reader to be honest, but I'm definitely going to check out some of your books. And my mum's oh. quite, she's, she likes her books. One so. of your books are free, are they not? On the uh, yeah, I think, I think Brightside is still free. Um, and anyone that joins my website, uh, my newsletter, uh, they get a free book. Um, but generally, yeah, I usually have something on sale for 99 cents all the time. And I, for people that aren't readers, I always suggest either Brightside um I think it's you'll you'll know within the first two paragraphs whether or not you like it, uh, and mm-hmm. that's the book where friends that never read at all like they've read that book, um, and then Twisted Reunion because they're short stories and they're really easy to put down. So you can read one in the while you're going to the bathroom or whatever. So um, yeah. those are probably the two that I suggest. Yeah, I, I, I definitely need to go and check it then. Eh? Anybody listens, go and check it. We'll get the link in the description as well so yeah. everybody can find oh, awesome. you. Yeah, um, everything. Um, I've, if there's anything else you want to add, man, just feel free. I was just going to say, I've, I've tried to recently, um, was that, well, I say recently, it was in Christmas on my birthday. Um, <laughs> my, my girlfriend got me, um, I'm, my favourite actor is Matthew McConaughey, uh, and he's got his kind of autobiography out, Green Light, um, and I've got that still sitting. I keep saying I'm going to read it, but because um, I think it's a bit of an easy read, but I'll definitely, I'll definitely check yours out. Have you ever considered... Mm-hmm audiobooks or have do you do audiobooks or yeah yep i think i have an audiobook for <coughs> all of my books yeah wow. the, uh, do you, yep. they're, do they're you. all out in audio too right. um is it you yeah. that reads them uh no i tried doing that for one of them and i just i'm not i'm not a narrator and that's what i realized like you know again it was my ego wanting to do it and to save money but like uh Man, the the guy who just did Beyond Brightside, like what he does with his voice and all the special effects and just how good it sounds, like I was just blown oh, away. So I was like, no, I need to I need to go with professionals. And ain't no Messiah. That's uh that guy. He he does an amazing job on the audiobook as well. And those I think both of those are coming up for they're ninety nine cents right now on Chirp. Um, Twisted Reunion I think is ninety nine cents. So every week I try to have something on sale for the audiobook too for like ninety nine mm-hmm. cents. Yeah. That's amazing, man. Well, everybody, be sure to check out Mark's books. Um, mm-hmm. Amazing story. Um, I've, I know, I've I thoroughly know. enjoyed myself. I thought it's been, uh, been great. Uh, so amazing. Thanks very much. All the best. Thanks very much for taking the time. Ask questions. I know. We really appreciate <laughs> it. Amazing. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And I wish you all the success. And we'll see you in Joe Rogan at some point. It'll be us. I know. And- <laughs> <laughs> awesome. well, hey, no, this this has been so much fun, man, and I, I can't tell you how much this means to me too. So, uh, thank you both for this. Well, Mark, anytime you've got any new releases out as well, feel free to come back on and Definitely. talk about them. Um, we would oh, have I'm, you on anytime. So, hundred percent appreciate it. So, you go and go enjoy the rest of your day. It's about one thirty p.m. Yep, I'm going to go play you. some Fortnite with my son, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're going to play Call of Duty, I think. So if you're ever on Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah, he's a little too young for it. I, I, I want to I start him on it. but uh, So for now, we just got to get sweaty on that game. That's it. Sweet. Enjoy. Enjoy. Thank, you so All right, thank you guys so much. I, you. I really appreciate yeah. this. Pleasure. Right. No problem. Thank you. Speak soon.